When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Friday, March 22nd. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking to Tonic reporter Shayla Love about the fraught history of dissociative identity disorder. The story is featured in the Vice magazine Truth and Lies issue. The condition formerly known as multiple personality disorder is now called dissociative identity disorder, or DID for short. DID affects an estimated 0.01 to 1% of the general population, but it's a condition that many researchers still disagree on. Its history is fraught with tales of false memories and satanic cults. Only three paragraphs into WebMD's page on DID, a subheading asks, is dissociative identity disorder real? To this day, only some believe it is, while others believe it's a disorder brought on by the power of suggestion and scary stories. Clinicians don't doubt the suffering of people who get a DID diagnosis, but they can't agree on where the suffering originates. And that conflict has had major implications for how people with DID are treated. So today I sat down with Tonic reporter Shayla Love for the full story. Welcome back on the podcast, Shayla. Thank you. So you wrote a very long and comprehensive story for Vice magazine about dissociative identity disorder, or DID for short. And you get at the fact that it's actually kind of a fraught question to ask, what is DID? But I'm going to start there. What is dissociative identity disorder? Just a short kind of definition of it, and then we'll get more into what complicates that definition and kind of the history of it later. Yeah. So like my very long piece might allude to, it's kind of hard to define DID because people have a different ideas of what it is. But just in general, dissociation is a feeling of being disconnected from your thoughts and feelings. And I think we've all felt dissociated at one time or another. DID is a more extreme form of dissociation where people feel kind of a separation from their thoughts or their memories or their experiences. Um, And it can sometimes manifest as feeling like there's different parts of you within yourself or different personalities that experience different things that are sort of separate from each other. So what made you want to do such a deep dive on this disorder, DID? Uh, So I've always been very interested in the cultural and historical context surrounding mental illness. So, for example, schizophrenics in a previous era would have been really paranoid about the telegram, whereas now perhaps they're paranoid about the Internet, right? Like cultural and historical context can influence the expression of mental illness. Um, I've always been very fascinated by that. And I met a clinician last year who told me about multiple personality disorder and about how multiple personality disorder really was like very common in the 80s, but now wasn't really around anymore. And so I thought that this like 
very intense sounding disorder, the fact that it could just sort of vanish from our society was really interesting. And then I discovered that it didn't really vanish. It just got rebranded or renamed as dissociative identity disorder. Um, And so I thought that the shift between multiple personality and DID was really interesting. And I wanted to find out why that had happened and what the experience was like for people who had multiple personality who are now called DID patients. So let's talk about that shift from multiple personality disorder to DID and kind of the history of this disorder. In your piece, you talk about sort of the specific ways that multiple personality disorder has been portrayed over time in movies and in the media and how dramatic those portrayals usually are. And I'm curious both how that has influenced how people understand DID today and just kind of more generally, what is the history of this disorder. Yeah. Well, I think when we all think of multiple personality disorder, one of my first thoughts is in the movies, movies like Fight Club or Sybil or, you know, even old scary stories, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Like we have this idea of sort of a person walking around in the world and then they have this like evil persona that they're not aware of. And that's, you know, out doing terrible things. And, you know, for many people, that's kind of how multiple personality disorder was introduced. So in 1973, the book Sybil came out, um, which told the story of this woman's sort of tormented childhood and her repressed memories and her multiple personality. And this book just sold millions of copies and it was turned into a television movie. 40 million people watched it. And so there was this idea that there could be these other parts of you that are acting without your knowledge. Um, And after these things sort of hit the cultural scene, the diagnoses of multiple personality disorder went up a lot. So before the 1970s, there were very few known cases of multiple personality disorder. By 1990, there were at least 20,000 confirmed diagnoses with estimates of, you know, many, many more. And that's according to some news articles that were published at the time. But something complicated is that, you know, people were getting these diagnoses. And then as time went on, people started to kind of doubt how accurate the diagnoses were. So there was this idea that perhaps people who were very distressed, people who had trauma, people who you know were depressed or anxious or bipolar, schizophrenic, whatever, they were going into a therapist. And because the idea of multiple personality disorder was so strong at the time, the suggestion was made to them that perhaps they had multiple personalities. And then they kind of adopted that as their diagnosis, as the expression of their of their symptoms. Um, and some people started to they ended up suing their therapist for implanting those ideas or memories into their mind. So multiple personality disorder, you know, the rise in it, it started to face a lot of scrutiny and people started asking, is this a real disease or is this something that's just sort of brought on by suggestion of a therapist? So if there was so much scrutiny around multiple personality disorder and sort of a level of skepticism, how did DID come to be? How did that shift happen? Yeah. So I think people started realizing that you know, it's very possible for people to remember things that didn't happen to them. There's a famous cognitive psychologist named Elizabeth Loftus, and she started something called the False Memory Syndrome Foundation. And their work is that they showed that if you provide a false memory to somebody or false ideas, they can remember it later and provide additional details. Um, So after all the lawsuits and the scrutiny, multiple personality disorders reputation was was really tarnished. Um, And people, psychologists were really, you know, they they just didn't really think it was a thing anymore, which is kind of what that clinician had told me that I had met. But 
severe dissociation and dissociation as a result of trauma and sort of like it seemed like there was still some disorder similar to multiple personality but maybe not as extreme that was still sort of floating around at the time and so while all this multiple personality disorder lawsuits and skepticism was going on DID was replaced in the DSM Um, so they replaced multiple personality disorder with DID in the DSM which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders so they tried to kind of separate out this dissociative disorder from multiple personality and say that it was like a separate thing and so that's kind of the genesis of where DID comes from is this rebranding of multiple personality and trying to sort of separate it out from that. And the APA, which is the American Psychiatric Association, tried to say that DID, you know, it was different than multiple personalities because it wasn't an influx of new personalities. It wasn't created by false memories. It was just a disruption of a personality that was already there. So a kind of fracturing of the self rather than like a multiplying of the self. Um, But because DID was so wrapped up in multiple personalities, I think skepticism around it started right from the beginning, and people still thought that maybe it's just caused by suggestion or by, you know, from a therapist's implanting a memories just like multiple personalities disorders could have been. Yeah, that's super interesting. And a really central part of your piece is asking the question, how does one actually go about proving whether or not a mental disorder or condition is real or not? And this question of is DID a real condition sort of still circulates in the discourse. Can you talk a little bit about the conclusions you came to in your piece? You know, it's really hard when it comes to a mental disorder to decide what's real, right? Like, we could fight for the rest of our lives about what what real even means. Um, And I think researchers, they struggle as well, and they disagree with each other about how to determine the validity of, of a mental disorder. So there's a couple different potential explanations for DID. These are opposing explanations, but one says that trauma in in early stages of life is what causes dissociation and that kind of fracturing of the self, which could lead to, you know, the experience of having sort of like multiple parts or multiple personalities. And so how do you determine this? You can look and see if there's an association between trauma and dissociation and see if dissociation is associated with people being highly suggestible because if it's not, it means that it's probably not just an idea that's implanted into people's minds by a therapist or by the movies or whatever. I talked to a neuroscientist who's been looking for just differences in the brains of people diagnosed with DID. So she looks at their brain's blood flow when they're in one state or another state or when they're in one part or another part. And she's been able to find differences or see differences um, when they're in those different states. But it becomes complicated because the brain is kind of just an expression of whatever we're experiencing and what we experience is subjective. So I talked to somebody else who said that just because you see a difference in the brain, what you're really seeing is their belief that they are in a different state. So of course you're going to see some kind of difference. It's just kind of like a secondary effect of what they believe is happening to them. So it's really complicated. I don't think that there's truly a right answer here because we don't have really great biomarkers for any mental illness. So at the end of the day, it just comes down to, I think, believing what people say and trusting that what they tell you is what they're what they're going through. 
Right. I mean, when when people argue around the origins of this condition, whether it's real or not, the scientists that you're talking to aren't in denial about the fact that people are experiencing symptoms and that those symptoms deserve treatment and that people can struggle less or feel better. But it's sort of more this argument around what it is, how it's functioning, and, and kind of the role of belief in this disorder. Another part of your piece is sort of around the subjective nature of the DSM, you know, which gets referred to as the Bible for the field of psychology. Can you talk a little bit more about the role of the DSM in this history and how researchers and psychologists are thinking about that? Yeah, the DSM is a really important text because it's how we've tried to categorize mental illness. But to a certain extent, it's a book of observations. Um, I've always kind of thought it was funny that it's referred to as the Bible because it's kind of a book written of human constructs and it kind of a faith. Like this is what we believe the delineations of mental illness to be, but they're not really rooted in anything concrete. And you know that's definitely not just my opinion. The former director of the National Institute of Mental Health wrote that at best the DSM was just a dictionary creating a set of labels. So it gives us the same words to use when we're referencing different disorders, but it doesn't really like it doesn't tell us anything for sure. We don't have blood or brain tests that can give us definitive results for anxiety, for depression, for any psychological condition. So there's a lot of attempts now to classify mental illness through more objective means, through genetics or brain imaging. There's something called the Research Domain Criteria, or RDOC, that's being developed right now, but it's still in very early stages. So until that happens, we only have the DSM to really work with. You know, when I go to my therapist, I have a DSM code that she's given me for my problems. But really, the only reason that exists is to send to the insurance company. So, you know, I think it's important when we have these arguments about what mental illness is and is it real, like it's important to remember that we all still are kind of working in the dark and we don't know for sure, like what is real and what's not. Yeah, So for this piece, you talked to a lot of different people who were experiencing DID or had diagnoses, Um, but your, your story really focused on one woman named Lizzie Green. And I'm curious what it was like meeting her and what her experience of this condition has been and how was her experience maybe different or similar to what you expected going into meeting her? Yeah. So Lizzie lives in the UK. So we spoke on the phone first. And when I first spoke to her, you know, she sounded totally coherent, very, very insightful, very kind, very funny. Again, we have this idea about what multiple personality disorder DID is from movies. And so you kind of expect right? Like a shifting of personality, like you expect to be talking to somebody and then they change into somebody else all of a sudden. Um, And that never happened at all because I think the reality of DID can be much more subtle and much more internal than than we think in, in a lot of cases. And she's definitely at a point in her life where she's gotten a lot better. She's been in therapy for a long time. But so I went and I met with her and we actually watched The Three Faces of Eve together at a movie theater, um, which is a movie about multiple personality disorder, which was it's a very dramatic black and white movie. And so we sat there watching it together and I thought, oh, my gosh, 
she's really offended by it or like she doesn't think that it's it's true and she you know she's going to be mad and afterwards she sort of surprised me by saying like when Eve the character in the movie shifts between states that is kind of what it was like for her back when her DID was really bad she would kind of have this rush of memories or suddenly have to do strange things, strange behaviors. And we talked a lot about what that was like for her. So her her story is that when she was very young, she was sexually abused by her father as well as other people in her life. She grew up in this very rural part of England on a farm that was very isolated. And during the abuse, she she would sort of shut herself off and her alters or her other parts would deal with the abuse for her. Um, and so that's where the dissociation comes from. And that's her that's her experience and explanation of where it comes from. So she told me that she didn't have any memories of this abusive childhood until she was almost in her 40s. And then suddenly a trauma in her family took place and she started to have these, you know, strange memories, strange experiences. She would start walking the way she did when she was a child. She would only want to eat baby food. She could only sleep on the floor in her room. And, you know, just all of these really inscrutable behaviors and feelings and emotions, she was completely paralyzed essentially from all of these all of these things and so she ended up picking up this book called the flock which is about did and it made her realize that it was very similar to what was going on with her and that's eventually how she found her diagnosis by the time i met her you know she again like a very lovely kind coherent seemingly um, functional person and she is totally functional now so i think you know it really challenged my perception of what did is. Um, it's not Fight Club. It's not these sort of scary movies. I remember I saw this movie, Hide and Seek, with Robert De Niro, where, like, you know, his altar is about murdering people. It's It, it, it was very different than what I thought it was going to be. So this feature is extremely thorough. You have the story of Lizzie Green. You have the story of different doctors and the history of this condition. And it's all so fascinating if you had to boil it down for your readers to have a few broad takeaways, what do you want people to understand about this condition? I guess I would want them to understand that culture and the media and movies and books and all of these things, they do influence our understanding of what mental illnesses are. Um, and I think they do impact the expression of mental illnesses. Like just because multiple personality disorder was largely discredited, it doesn't mean that those people didn't really experience that and feel that, right? Like just because something comes from the outside or is influenced, everything is influenced by everything. Like our our mental health will always be influenced by the things that surround us. And asking whether something is real or not can be interesting sort of academically, but for the people who are suffering from these disorders, it can be sort of harmful. And we need to be careful about how our diagnoses and how our categorizations are really helping or hurting the people who have these conditions. I've written about mental illnesses or even just other like physical diseases that people think are real or, or not real. And I found that it can 
you know, depending on who gets the diagnosis, it can end up really limiting somebody's life if they get diagnosed with something that everybody's decided isn't real. It can make the experience of that person really hard and and sort of sheltered, and then they can only talk to other people who have that diagnosis, or their whole life becomes either like defending it or fighting against it. In the case of DID, I found with Lizzie and with the other woman that I spoke to with DID that getting the diagnosis really opened up their life, um, and it, it provided them a community, and suddenly they were able to find treatment that really helped them. So I I think that I've decided that what's best with many mental illnesses until we have a more definitive way of diagnosing them and and understanding them is, you know, if something is helping you, then, you know, like we should just go with it. Like if if something is really making your life so much better and it makes you feel good to say that you have DID and then you become functional and you can see your family and friends like in my book, that's that's not a bad thing. And we can discuss and debate the academic side of it at the same time. But for somebody to have a diagnosis that helps them is never a bad thing. Well, thank you so much, Shayla. Make sure to pick up a copy of Vice magazine, or you can read the full story at tonic.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening, and make sure to tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.